chapters five and six of a study of army camp life during american revolution by mary hazel snuff this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter five religion in the camp it is earnestly recommended that all officers and soldiers diligently to attend divine service and all officers and soldiers who shall behave indecently or irreverently at any place of divine worship shall if commissioned officers be brought before a court-martial there to be publicly and severely reprimanded by the president if non-commissioned officers or soldiers every person so offending shall for his first offence forfeit one-sixth of a dollar to be deducted out of his next pay for the second offence he shall not only forfeit a like sum but be confined for twenty-four hours and for every like offence shall suffer and pay in like manner which money so forfeited shall be applied to the use of the sick soldiers of the troops or company to which the offender belongs the continental congress in its acts for the regulation of the army issued the above orders orders also came from headquarters directing the soldiers actions along religious lines all officers see that their men attend upon prayers morning and evening also the service on the lord's day with their arms and accoutrements ready to march in case of any alarm that no drums be beaten after the parson is on the stage but the religion of the american soldier was more than an order from the provincial congress or from headquarters it was an influence which was an important factor in the soldier's life and in the war in the american revolution perhaps the religious element was not the paramount factor as it had been in the crusades or the puritan revolution giving character to the whole movement it rather stayed in the background and supported the political and military organizations the pulpit had been a factor in shaping the soldier's life before he left home it was a day when newspapers and other means of disseminating ideas were not very plentiful and the pulpit was about the only way of reaching the majority of the people it is said of one minister who was famous for his bold sermons and his purely political discourses although they were delivered from the pulpit he knows all our best authors and has sometimes cited even in the pulpit passages from voltaire and jean-jacques rousseau the house of representatives of massachusetts saw the value of the clergy in shaping public opinion and passed a resolution asking them to make the question of the rights of the colonies a topic of their discussion on weekdays the pulpit too had its place in the election campaign there was preached before the governor and house of representatives of massachusetts what was called the election sermon it was a sermon preached by the best ministers of the colony not exactly as a mere compliment to religion but with the object in view of instruction the ministers did not only deliver dissertations on the doctrinal truths but they discussed the rights of man the nature of government and theories of liberty and equality the sermons delivered on such occasions do not seem to be impractical theological discourses but rather on the other hand very practicable the questions of the day being subjects discussed for it was through the medium of the church that the people received the foundation for their beliefs in political affairs on monday the twenty ninth of may seventeen seventy one 
john tucker of newbury preached the election sermon on the text submit yourselves to every ordinance of men for the lord's sake whether it be the king as supreme from that as a text he went into a discussion of the sort of submission which was due to the rulers in seventeen seventy three charles turner preached from romans and tried to show why it was the right and duty of the clergy to enter into politics the next year when excitement was reaching its height it is interesting to note the sort of text rev hitchcock of pembroke took for the basis of his sermons it was from proverbs twenty two two when the righteous are in authority the people rejoice but when the wicked bear rule the people mourn it is not hard to believe that such sermons and many others like them had something to do with the revolution as well as navigation acts and correspondence committees of course it must be said that since the people did not rise as one man there was another view to take on the question but the people were guided in the opposite view also by the clergy the clergy did more than discuss politics from the pulpit before the conflict broke for when the war was on in earnest and troops were being raised the ministers left their pulpits to take their place in the army not always as chaplains but sometimes in the ranks and sometimes as head of the company in one company of minutemen from domiers the deacon went as captain and the minister as lieutenant besides the part played by the clergy the church as a whole was one of the forces working for the care and comfort of the american soldier the churches were turned into barracks and hospitals messages of the officers of the army describing the soldiers condition in camp were read from the pulpit on sunday morning the afternoon congregation would be made up almost entirely of men and the women were to be found at home knitting or spinning when washington assumed command of the army at cambridge he found chaplains attached to different regiments sent from various colonies especially from the new england colonies some of these were volunteers without pay and others were appointed by the provincial congress the chaplain of that war was not like the chaplain of the present time a sort of half-soldier half-minister never expected to fight or endure the hardships of the private on the other hand he was one of the men in the field but also reverenced by the soldiers because of the place he had filled in their activities at home at first as has been noticed there was no regulation concerning the appointment and pay of the chaplain by the continental congress washington wrote to congress in december seventeen seventy five and said i need not point out the great utility of gentlemen whose lives and conversation are unexceptional being employed for that service in the army he went on to suggest plans whereby all regiments might be served by a chaplain the plan which congress adopted was of having a chaplain for every two regiments and they fixed the salary at thirty-three and one-third dollars a month the plan worked when the soldiers were in camp but not when they were on the march in seventeen seventy six a chaplain was allowed for each regiment according to the regulations of the army there were to be prayers morning and evening and on sunday services were almost continuous there were always two services and often more the chaplains from the various regiments preaching in rotation the places of holding religious meetings varied with circumstances services were held in a church in or near camp on a college campus in an opening in the woods and in a log hut 
built for the purpose when the army entered cambridge the next day was sunday and a stage was erected on the campus by turning up a rum hogshead on another occasion a pulpit was formed out of knapsacks piled together the kind of sermons provided by the chaplains to the soldiers make an interesting study they were always of a practical nature the sermons seemed to fall into two general classes one class setting forth the characteristics of a good soldier and the other those which had to do with the political and social troubles of the time there are records of the attitude of the soldier being changed very materially by some of the sermons heard both concerning his own personal attitude and his attitude in general toward the war the story is related that one time reverend gano knew that a number of the soldiers in his audience were men who had only enlisted for a few months hence during the service he made the remark he could aver of the truth that our lord and saviour approved of all those who had engaged in his service for the whole warfare the rank and file were much amused and those who enlisted for the whole war forced many short-term men by their jesting to re-enlist another observance which might be considered part of the soldier's religion was the day of fasting and prayer ordered by congress and the officials of the various colonies there is yet one more effect which grew out of the religious activities of the soldier while in the army camp that is the weakening of the rigid lines which had been drawn between sects when the soldier was at home he was presbyterian anglican catholic or what not but in the army there was a tendency to forget the barriers both protestant and catholic services were held but it was one of the orders of washington that no person should make light of another's religion it had been the custom of the people near boston to celebrate what was called pope day when they burned an effigy of the pope the soldiers were contemplating a celebration of this custom when washington issued orders against it calling it a ridiculous and childish custom the fact that the chaplain of a regiment might have members of a number of sects in his audience would tend to create a common interest and also the fact that whenever the troops were near a church they were ordered to attend regardless of denomination the incident is related of washington who was anglican that he and a number of his men asked a presbyterian minister to give them communion in his church and it was gladly done all of which were factors in bringing about democracy in the church chapter six camp duties and discipline the soldier's day began with reveille at sunrise or when a centra can see clearly one thousand yards around him and not before and ended with tattoo beating at eight o'clock for after tattoo there was to be no straying about camp without a written pass between reveille and tattoo there were numerous duties to be performed and orders to be obeyed some of them seemed foolish and most unnecessary to the average soldier the first thing was roll-call before the doors of the barracks which every one was to appear in full dress well shaved and with hat cocked then came breakfast prepared either by one of the company in the camp kitchen or by each one for himself over the open fire the breakfast was anything from the usual dish a large plate of rice with a little salt to a heavier meal of meat and potatoes 
morning prayers followed breakfast and of the routine of the rest of the day simon lyman of sharon wrote we marched out in the morning and exercised and in the afternoon we marched out again and exercised again captain lewis in his orderly book recorded the following order for the future the fatigue parties to parade at seven o'clock in the morning and return at eleven to their dinners and parade again at two then came supper evening prayers and tattoo camp life was however not all a routine of reveille prayers drills meals and tattoo for there were hundreds of other things which had to be done there were huts to build roads to make entrenchments to construct fuel to collect supplies to provide armaments to make or clean and drills for the awkward squad besides guard and fatigue duty not to mention the more domestic duties of cooking of washing and mending clothes and cleaning huts or acting as grass guard it can hardly be said that any hard and fast rule was followed in the matter of camp activities for there were circumstances continually arising which altered affairs there were parades before a visiting officer and days taken off for washing then too there was the lack of a permanent organization of the army which was a serious hindrance in following any different course for the short-time enlistment men were constantly leaving and the new recruits were coming into camp all of which broke into the routine of camp and often nothing of importance was accomplished for weeks at a time simon lyman of sharon wrote of the week following august twenty ninth seventeen seventy five friday twenty ninth in the forenoon we went round the town and in the afternoon we putted up our tents and marched through cambridge to charlestown there we was stationed we put up our tents tuesday three i rubbed up my gun and looked round the forts wednesday the fourth we got some boards to fix our tents and it rained and we did not do it thursday fifth it rained and i wrote a letter home and stayed around the house when the new recruit was given the duty of being on guard with the orders that he was not to sleep or leave his post he felt for the first time the hand of authority he felt that the orders were ridiculous when he must shave every day and appear at roll-call every morning with his hair powdered but when he could not go more than a mile from camp without a pass and that only two furloughs were allowed at one time then he was sure that his personal liberty was imposed upon it was just that attitude taken by the soldiers toward their officers and the orders given by them or toward the duties they were ordered to perform that made the question of discipline a serious one army life was a novelty at first but before many weeks had passed the aspect changed the soldiers were in new conditions and new modes of doing things had to be learned what to do and what not to do were questions with the new recruits there had been little of the being ordered by anybody at home especially among the new englanders now the private had to salute take orders from and ask permission of an individual who in all probability had been his next-door neighbor at home with no more training than himself and perhaps one who had just taken command without having been appointed by the proper authority the trouble came from both sides the officer felt the importance of his position to such an extent that he could not see the private's viewpoint but on the other hand the private was not willing to endure an ordinary amount of subordination 
the orders sent out from headquarters concerning the matter were numerous depicting to the soldiers and to the officers as well their duties and privileges the question of discipline was one which caused washington a great deal of concern on first entering camp and a matter which always brought comment from the foreigners who visited our camps or worked with our army as the war progressed the conditions grew better but the personnel changed so often that one group just reached the stage where some sort of law and order was made possible when they left and the whole process was to be gone through again with the newly enlisted group the general rules of discipline were laid down by the continental congress in what were called the rules and regulations for the government of the army congress there described the general conduct of the soldiers as to their duties and privileges and also recommended the punishments which should be inflicted by the court-martial in case of violation of the rules by any one there were also orders issued from headquarters which gave more detailed directions in respect to the personal appearance of the soldier how his hat should be cocked how his hair should be cut and the like others in respect to the duties of the soldier on fatigue on guard or about the camp his conduct toward citizens the punishment for stealing and numerous other things which were incident to camp life as the regulation of grog shops orders concerning the morale of the soldiers and health precautions the means of enforcing the disciplinary rules was the court-martial an instrument which is of common use in time of war but some of the trials and decisions of the revolutionary court-martial are interesting if not amusing and yet significant because of the state of affairs which they reflect first as to the organization of the court-martial there was to be a general and a regimental court the general the higher and the regimental the lower court the general court was to consist of not less than thirteen members none of whom were to be under the rank of a commissioned officer and the president was to be a field officer the regimental court was to consist of not more than five members and in case five could not be assembled three were sufficient and any commissioned officer of a regiment by the appointment of his colonel could hold the court in the regiment for minor cases all crimes not capital and all disorders and neglect that officers and soldiers might be guilty of though not mentioned in the articles of war were to be taken into a general or regimental court according to the nature of the crime the offence could be punished at the court's discretion but no one was to be sentenced to death except in the cases mentioned in the rules laid down by congress and no sentence was to be executed until the commanding officer had approved it the commanding officer also had the power to pardon or suspend sentence if he saw fit according to the organization of the court-martial it was to inflict at its own discretion only degrading cashiering drumming out of camp and whipping not exceeding thirty-nine lashes according to entries made in orderly books and diaries those orders were often overlooked and the originality of the members of the court was worked into service thatcher said of the punishments ordered by the court-martial death has been inflicted in a few instances of an atrocious nature but in general the punishment consists in a public whipping and the number of stripes is proportional to the degree of offence the law of moses prescribing forty stripes save one but that number has often been exceeded in our camp 
in aggravated cases and with old offenders in our camp the culprit is sentenced to receive one hundred lashes or more it is the duty of the drummers and fifers to inflict the chastisement and the drum major must attend and see that the duty is faithfully performed the culprit being securely tied to a tree or post received on his naked back the number of lashes assigned him by a whip formed of several small knotted cords which sometimes cut through the skin at every stroke however strange it may appear a soldier will often receive the severest stripes without uttering a groan or once shrinking from the lash even while the blood flows freely from the lacerated wounds they have now however adopted a method which they say mitigates the anguish in some measure it is by putting between the teeth a leaden bullet on which they chew while under the lash till it is made quite flat and jagged in some instances of incorrigible villains it is adjusted by the court that the culprit receive his punishment at several different times a certain number of stripes repeated at intervals of two or three days in which case the wounds are in a state of inflammation and the skin rendered tender and the terror of the punishment is greatly aggravated another mode of punishment is that of running the gauntlet this is done by a company of soldiers standing in two lines each one furnished with a switch and the criminal is made to run between them and receive the scourge from their hands on his naked back but the delinquent runs so rapidly and the soldiers are so apt to favour a comrade that it often happens in this way punishment is very slight boardman thus recorded a punishment this morning another rifleman was drummed out of camp not whipped but if he ever returns again he is to receive thirty lashes other punishments were riding the wooden horse for fifteen minutes with two guns tied to the victim's feet and then ten minutes without guns or riding a rail there were too the fines and imprisonments but often the penalties bordered on the humorous line and furnished real amusement to the rest of the soldiers one man was sentenced to wear a clog chained at his leg for three days another was to wear a clog four days with his coat turned wrong side outwards the last penalty was for major carnes cordage trials were held for anything from disorderly conduct or stealing a shirt to treason in the court-martial and its actions it is possible to see a reflection of england and the methods of torture used there the colonists had not been away from the mother country long enough to get away from those devices for the punishment of offenders the number and kind of trials also show that the soldiers as a rule were inclined to have their own way and disregard orders for the majority of the trials were for the disobedience of minor orders a study of conditions during the revolutionary war in the light of the present day and especially in the light of the great war with the care given the soldier in the way of housing medical aid sanitation and recreation makes the soldier of seventeen seventy six more of a hero than he had been before that he under the most adverse circumstances withstood the war conditions and came out victorious for liberty seems almost a miracle john adams described the continental army as follows 
our army at crown point is an object of wretchedness enough to fill a human mind with horror disgraced defeated discontented dispirited diseased naked undisciplined eaten up with vermin no clothes bed blankets no medicine no victuals but of salt pork and flour one almost wonders that it is not a true characterization but it is interesting to note that of the fifty diaries and journals studied only one or two reflected a pronounced discontented or dissatisfied spirit the others mentioned the sufferings and hardships but did not complain the leaders of the war for independence have long been appreciated for the part they played perhaps over appreciated but leaders could not have accomplished their goal had it not been for the private the private was undisciplined it is true and wilful at times but to him with his sufferings hardships and even wilfulness must be given a great amount of the honor end of chapters five and six end of a study of army camp life during american revolution by mary hazel snuff